Hello, welcome back. I hope you guys are safe. I hope you guys are keeping well. Today's episode is a bit different. We have a guest who, to be frank, invited himself to the podcast. So yes, you can do that. That's pretty much easily uh, doable, especially if you're a startup. But no, my guest, he's not an entrepreneur who's trying to build a business, who's trying to bring new technology to the market. He's actually one who's done it already. Today we will have an investor on the show. We will have a person who's got a lot of experience. Today we have Alex Mayer from uh, 42Cap. I will obviously uh, leave some space in a moment for Alex to introduce himself and to talk about his journey as a business person, as an entrepreneur, as a successful startup founder. I hope that it's going to be a very interesting interview for you guys, considering the fact that we should think global when we design our products. We should think global when we try to reach out for investments as well. And that's especially true for software companies or B2B software companies, because when you do something difficult and building a software company is probably uh, quite difficult. Uh, why wouldn't you do it globally from the very beginning? That's one of the topics that uh, we will cover today. I hope you will enjoy today's uh, episode. I really enjoyed uh, recording it with Alex. And maybe if you have a B2B business, maybe you will uh, get in touch with them so they can help you out with uh, your next round. If you have any questions or if you have any thoughts uh, on uh, our interview today, uh, please leave a comment, make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends or uh, colleagues who may be interested. Enjoy! Welcome to Venture Poland Podcast. My name is Daniel Czachorowski and my goal is to promote Poland as a great partner for any business venture, especially when it comes to technology. In my podcast, I interview Polish entrepreneurs, startup founders, managers and engineers, so we can all learn from them. Enjoy today's episode. Alex, we're going to do a bit of a role swap here uh, to start off with the show. And uh, I would like you to pitch us on uh, 42 Cup and yourself. So please. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and uh, very happy to pitch, have pitched for very uh, long and very often our company. Um, and my partner and I, we have been entrepreneurs ourselves and we started off in the late 90s, in 99 to be accurate. And we have built uh, a company in the marketing technology space, something very comparable to a MailChimp. I've initially raised 20 million in venture capital in 2000 and 2001, burned all of that money in those two years, but luckily built up enough revenues to already turn profitable 2002, always stayed profitable brought the company into 10 European countries and scaled it to roughly 500 people and 55 zero million in software revenues, 90% cross margin, 20% profitability, and eventually sold the company for 250 million in cash in the summer of 2012 to a US software company. In our case, the acquirer was Teradata, large provider for enterprise data warehousing systems headquartered in Atlanta with 12,000 people. And that became our new home for a while, became part of the overall leadership team of Teradata managed a business unit with 1,500 people in 35 countries directly and um, acquired a few companies in Europe, Israel, and the US, integrated them. But um, over the course of the time, it was clear um, that uh, we wanted to start a new endeavor. And so one of my partners, Thomas, and I left 
and decided to set up 42 cap 42 cap is um, a boutique venture capital fund focusing on b2b software only that's what we understand we love the seed stage want to be a very early investor and want to be involved for very long and always believed in the european opportunity and european talent being able to build global operators and our tagline peers amongst entrepreneurs should reflect that it's entrepreneurs who build a sustainable large software company and are now turned investors and uh, want to help um, younger entrepreneurs with money and support perfect brilliant it was a very intense pitch um, uh, a lot of information and before we jump into the main topic which is around uh, startups and working with startups i would like you to talk us through some of your um, business uh, journey stories maybe i would like to understand whether you have any uh, key takeaways from that specific period uh, that come to your mind first and that may not be that cliche so you know work hard and whatever maybe something that's really tangible i would really uh, like to hear some stories about that you nicely said it was an intense page but it reflected 13 years from 99 till 2012 until we mm. sold and we stayed for another few years so it has almost been one and a half decades and one of the key things i learned is um uh, staying power um it is not about working hard but basically um not giving up willingness to adapt it's not always a pivot that you change the business model completely but it's always adapt it's basically measure track uh, get as much data as you possibly can competitive intelligence and adapt constantly adapt adjust and have staying power it like all the big exits uh, they had a lot of uh, uncomfortable things in between and uh, one other lesson i learned um uh, that for especially software companies with recurring revenues, the ultimate exit channel is not always an IPO if you're really big or a trade sale like in our case. Uh, private equity is an important exit channel and we actually had that. So a private equity company actually, before we sold the company, finally uh, bought out the original investors, gave us some money, but uh, uh, we, we stayed as investors in the cap table and were able to continue basically. So we separated the histories of our original investors and us as founders and private equity is a good exit channel for that and will be a more important one in the future to come for companies with attractive um, uh, revenue profiles, high cross margin and mm -hmm. recurrence. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay, so um, do you think, obviously, in, in the light of decades of experience, do you think it is easier to start and run a software company or a startup these days if you would compare it to how it was back in the 90s or uh, early 2000s? I think on the one side, I would say it became much easier. On the other side, I would say it became much tougher um, and it basically washes each other out. So what became easier is... When we started, you had to buy Sun Solaris servers, buy it in cash as CapEx, run your own data centers. There was no CRM system. You could basically buy in anything. So you had to do a lot yourself. So that has changed, right? There's AWS and Azure to run your cloud. For everything you want, there's a software tool available. So that makes it easier, but that also makes it easier for everybody else in the market. And there was as much more competition. So whatever you start, there's another 25 players. And we didn't have that. 
So I think I wouldn't say it's easier or, or tougher, like some things are easier, some things are tougher. But the general rules that apply when you build a company is probably true now than it was 20 years ago when we did it, than it was maybe 50, 60 years ago when uh, a Nike got started. And when you read a book like Shoe Dog, uh, it's a basically patience, endurance, staying power. That's what I mentioned beforehand, willingness to adapt, to read the market, to learn very generic things, what a lot of people try to avoid because there's so much focus on themselves. Sure. Okay. I know that uh, I haven't prepared this uh, question before we started, but it just came to my mind. I'm really curious. Um, when it comes to startups and building companies from scratch, let's say in, in the software uh, area, because that's your main uh, expertise, do you think the personality traits are also very important? Because to my understanding, from what you just said, uh, it was much more difficult to find tools or maybe to physically do certain things. And now it's much easier. So maybe people are a bit uh, weaker in terms of patience. I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to understand whether there is something specific just because of how we have grown up, maybe. I would say two criteria always have when you build a company, and that is true a long time ago as it is now. One is be smart, analytical, intelligent, basically be able to read a situation and come up with a good idea or a solution or an approach. And the second is a more soft skill is basically being, being able to engage employees, customers, whoever you need to engage and basically excite to join your journey. But that is true in the past. It is now as well. I think one thing that has changed is if you're a really good coder and analytically smart and have a certain set of skills, which we didn't have, like well, I personally didn't have a 99er, uh, you can reach a lot and achieve a lot on yourself. That has changed. You need very little money and that's um, to basically build something. If you can code and have a little bit of money and time, you can build an MVP, you can get things going, you can test a lot of things. And that's the type of people we look for. We're very oriented around product and product-driven founders. And we would not invest on idea stage, but we would certainly invest if I find somebody who has built something and bootstrapped something that intrigues me. Because um, if you're a good coder, you can get quite far without external funding. Okay, okay, understood. So in that context, then, uh, when it comes to investing, should uh, companies, for example, from Poland, because we're on a Polish podcast, let's say, should companies from Poland watch out for financing options outside the local market because obviously you know markets are different different ideas different experiences cultural barriers maybe from your experience uh, whether this is uh, something that in general companies in europe should do yeah if i differentiate between b2b and b2c and very generically b2b software is never local it's a global business from day one on so you would never probably build a b2b software tool uh, which is only um, relevant for the Polish market. B2C, it's different if you have larger economies with 10, like, with like 40, 50, 60 million people in there. Um, there is um, um, a larger set of companies that might only start local. So from that perspective, B2B software for me is never local. It's, it's at least European, if not global, from day one on. Having said that, um, I also view Europe as one region. It's a bunch of cities I invest in. I don't think in countries from my perspective. So um, if the team is strong, then yes, I don't really care from my, as an investor point of view, 
if a team at a very early stage sits in Warsaw, Krakow, in Berlin or in Paris. It doesn't really make any difference for me. Sure. Okay, so uh, what are the most important uh, deliverables that startups should consider when pitching investors uh, like 42Cup, let's say? I think every investor has a slightly different taste. Everybody says team first. We try to be a little bit awkward. We say product first. In our space, I need to fall in love with the product. And if I fall in love with the product, I fall in love with the team. So that's a little bit the, you know, the other way around. So from my perspective, the starting point is there needs to be a good product that really solves a big problem in a very large market, right? So everything for us starts with the product. And the second point is, is there an effective go-to-market? Um, can you scale the revenues of the product selling in a cost-effective way um, in a large enough market? That, that those are the criteria I'm, I would look for. Sure. Okay. So is there anything you could uh, potentially share with us in terms of uh, examples? Do you have any examples from maybe 2019 or 18? When did you uh, actually fall in love in a product and uh, invested in it? Uh, in all the cases where we invested in our portfolio, it was the case. So like in every initial call I have as founders, um, one of the first things we do in these calls is to get a five-minute product demo. We do this in every call and we do it in every first call. And we need to fall in love within that product demo and really need to believe that's a good opportunity. It's a great UX and all of that. That's a key requirement to proceed. It has happened in all our cases. Um, so each of our portfolio companies fulfills that. Others might not fall in love with a product, sure. but we have fallen in love with a product. Okay, understood. Uh, what are the common mistakes then that typically rule out the applicants? Uh, can we get a bit more specific here? Um, for us, there are three points why an application doesn't go any further. One is it's, it's just not our market. It's not B2B software and it's not seed stage, right? That is not evaluation in terms of good or bad. It's just like not our cup of tea and we don't look at stuff we don't invest in. So if it's a B2C thing, or if it's later stage, or if it's a company outside of Europe, we would not look at it, but that's more pre-qualification criteria. But the two things why things fall out is when I look at the deck, when I look at the storyline, it's just not very clear. And when somebody cannot bring his story across very simply and very clearly, he will have a hard time engaging his clients, his employees, his investors, and And so I believe any story can be told in a simple way. So the storytelling and how you explain your pitch is one thing. The second thing is usually market potential. Um, I've seen a lot of cool things, but when I really do a back of the envelope math and try to bottom up calculate the size of the market, the market is just not large enough to be a good VC company. And our logic is simple. If I calculate bottom up in a very simple math, like, number of target clients in the world times average ticket size, it must be a billion plus ARR potential. If there's a billion ARR potential and the company would be able to get a 10% market share over 10 years, then there would be a 100 million ARR revenue company. And if it's a 100 million ARR revenue company, the company can be worth a billion. And then it's a good VC case. So a lot of the cases show me a very large market potential from whatever Forrester or whatever study. But when I add up all these studies, the world is usually 10 times bigger than it really is. So I want to have a simple bottom-up model, which I understand and I can believe in. And that market size needs to be large enough. So it's either market size 
or unclarity in the pitch, which makes me not look at stuff early on. Okay, understood. Um, you said, you know, your experience comes from building a software company. So in terms of uh, software as a service and B2B uh, companies uh, that provide software, are there any specific uh, pitfalls uh, for the sake of, you know, helping startups now? Um, are there any pitfalls that you could emphasize uh, now from your journey, let's say, something that maybe you have done and then you have re recalibrated later on, something tangible again? Yeah, there are three things that pop to my mind. One is take your time. It might sound stupid from a VC because everybody expects speed and so on, but take your time to find product market, to find product market fit. Iterate. The first one or two years are really crucial. People have a half-baked product market fit and then immediately want to go into effective scaling, and that just ain't work. So we, as much as I said, we want to fall in love with a product, we are willing to invest for very long in iteration cycles to optimize the product market fit and to find an effective go-to-market model. It's a long-term race, it's a marathon, and you won't win it on the first five miles. So um, that's one lesson learned I have, and I would recommend any company we invest in. The second thing is leverage data as much as you can. It's not only uh, sales funnel data, like how many demos you get and how many people you reach out to, but it's also product usage. Um, not every company has enough measurement tools within their product to understand what the clients in their products are really doing. Often are they logging in, what functionalities and their features are being used, where they're stumbling, all of the basically, not only the customer journey of selling, but also the customer journey of, of how they use the product, your product inside is important. And the third lesson learned is if possible, get funding early on for at least 18 better for 24 months. Um, because you need time to optimize your product market fit, and because more things will go wrong than right, um, it takes time to really build something and to show metrics and be, have tangible results for the next funding round. So rather go for a longer funding than for a shorter funding cycle. On that note, when it comes to investing in startups or maybe startups pitching investors for, uh, let's say, the first serious financing round, uh, is there such thing as you know asking too early for money? Because you said earlier today that you would like to see a demo of I mean, the product. So yes, correct. Every but every investor has a different taste, right? Some invested at idea stage, some pre-seed, some late seed, some in Series A. I think there's no right and no wrong. Like, but for us, we invest post-product but pre-revenues. And if you look at it from the entrepreneur's perspective, the earlier you take on money the lower your valuation is and the more of your company you give away early on. And if I would be a good coder and if I would be able, out of my own bootstrapping skills, be able to build an MVP, to test it with prototype customers, to iterate, and the, as long as I don't need money and can find product market fit, I would not necessarily take money um, because I give away a quite high share of my company very early on. So from that perspective, um, I would wait until I really can effectively deploy the money. So that's one thing I would look at. One more question before we shut down today's episode. Um, I'm really interested in your perspective on the recession right now. Okay, so you've 
been through uh, in your business career, let's say you've been through at least a couple of significant, let's say global economy crashes. Um, so I would like to understand uh, your view on how startups and investors should approach the market during today's crisis. And obviously, you know, we are all referring to the pandemic and the problem with the virus, but I'm more interested in the economy. Uh, what's your view on that? Well, we went with our company through the crisis 2001 and 2008. And um, what we experienced there is the same I would expect now as much as I would look at any crisis beforehand. Within the crisis, when, when it's like intense, cash is king, right? You need liquidity to survive. You need to pay your employees. You need to pay your suppliers. You need cash, right? So liquidity is, and, and liquidity can come in from revenue. So securing liquidity and runway and being ready for any type of scenario, right? It might be I'm growing, but I'm growing slower, or maybe I'm losing 50% of my revenue. So liquidity and cash is king, right? That's within the crisis. Um, and after the crisis, be prepared. Usually it's a perfect opportunity. Um, after every crisis, um, uh, deployment of technologies, digitalization, everything is accelerated. It's usually a catalyst for companies um, that we invest in, um, and uh, it's a great opportunity. The question is, how much cash have you left, and when can you be ready to basically redeploy your money and, and take benefit of what comes after the crisis? But... Uh, the longer, to, like even a year ago, somebody asked me in our own fundraising for our own fund, what do you do when the next crash comes? And I say, perfect. <laughs> As a VC, I should like it. It's, um, it's going to be an accelerator afterwards if you survive the crisis. And that's why cash is king. Okay, brilliant. Well, Alex, I would like to uh, say thank you, first of all, for reaching out. And then, you know, we've managed to speak together and then uh, agreed on the podcast. I'm really grateful for your time. And I would like to wish you all the best for the upcoming months. And uh, this year, obviously, it's going to be more difficult for everyone. But hopefully, you know, you can do your best with uh, 42 Cup. Is there anything else you would like to add to the uh, podcast uh, audience now? No, except we'll be back in Poland as soon as we can travel <laughs> to look uh, for good new companies. And Daniel, thank you very much for your time as well. It has been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks. Bye-bye.